for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Good. Well, that's uh, something to look forward to next week. We have, um, over the last couple of weeks, we have enjoyed some tremendous fellowship with some of the guys and girls uh, from Catalyst, uh, both down in Horsham, up in London, and up in Bedford, and uh, contexts where we've been able to uh, not only enjoy fellowship, but encounter God and to hear God as Graham has expressed. And, and that, that's great when you, you go there and suddenly God's got a word for you, and uh, you think, well, this is, this is good, this is good, and uh, uh, it, it just fills you and uh, helps you to look forward and see where you're going. So we, we are thoroughly excited about what's happening and uh, great to receive words like that. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book, book of Philippians, um, I tend to uh, have used in my preaching these days, if you haven't already discovered, uh, the New Living Translation, partly because it's more accessible by a wider group of people. And uh, it's not that it's better than the English Standard Version, which I love, and uh, the New King James Version, etc., uh, that really there's not a great deal of difference between versions. There is a slight difference in the New Living Translation, and it's slightly sort of more modern in its wording and, and more accessible for people who perhaps uh, have never read a Bible even. And so I, I tend to use it more frequently. So if you've got your, your Bible there and you like to turn to Philippians, uh, whether it's on your, your, your telephone, your, you don't call it your telephone, do you? Your mobile, uh, <laughs> walking with a telephone, well, we'd all see who's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, whether it's on your mobile, your, your iPad, or whatever it is, um, it is the Word of God. Hallelujah. And we love the Word. Um, so the book of Philippians. Let's just begin just by reading a few verses. Um, we haven't got time to sort of dig into the whole book. And I'm, I'm not going to do an introduction like I would normally do an introduction, partly because in, in preparation for this, I really felt God weigh particular areas on my heart. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move along. But um, the book of Philippians, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. And may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And as I read this, read this as if he's writing to you. And you are hearing his words, those apostolic words coming to you. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from, from, from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You, you share with me in the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. 
May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we, we thank you for your great love made known to us in Jesus, commended, demonstrated to us in that while we were rebels, Christ came and lived and died for us. Lord, what, what love, what staggering, outrageous love. Thank you that you have loved us. Thank you that your word speaks of that love. Thank you that through Jesus we come to know that love. Thank you that through your Holy Spirit you shed that love abroad in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, you didn't step off the scene when man sinned, but you stepped into it. Thank you that you're at work today, even as you were at work, Lord Jesus, then. And as we've been reminded this morning, there are greater things yet to come. Hallelujah. Greater things still to be done. And we want to enter into those greater things. So help us, Holy Spirit, as we begin to explore this book and hear what you're saying to us as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how uh, diverse the world is? You know, ladies, the choice of clothes that you have. Men, the type of cars that we can buy, or maybe not just the men. Maybe the women also. Oh yes, says Sue. We know all about it. (laughs) Yes. Cars, fashion, music. You know, when I was a teenager, you really had to be good. And and if you were number one, you sold a colossal amount of records. But today, to be number one, you don't have to do that because there is such diversity in music. Cars, fashion, music, ideas are all out there. We live in a world of diversity, probably more diverse than any previous generation that ever ever lived on planet Earth. Everything today is on our doorstep. And absolute freedom and pluralism are the name of the game. You've only got to turn the radio on or look at the television, read your newspaper. There's a whole range of spiritualities out there, different beliefs. Religion is there, uh, but only to be used really for personal benefit. Whatever you do, you, you mustn't put it on anybody else. And certainly you shouldn't get excited about it. Just keep it quiet. A world that is changing rapidly. And in some ways, it was much like the culture that we find when we look at the book of Philippians. Not much different to the waning Roman Empire when Paul writes this letter to the book of Philippians. Itself, it's a part of a world of new ideas. It was renowned for its accommodation of various gods, but only so long as they didn't become too popular and displace the emperor. That was the important thing. In fact, the very multiplicity of gods meant that none was ever likely to become powerful and presumptuous and so as to to, to displace the emperor himself. And yet, you and I know that for all the, uh, the diverseness of the world in which we live in, somehow there is a dissatisfaction. Somehow all these ideas can't be true. That there's something, there must be more to life, to the world, than we see and we hear and we experience. We know that not every idea can be true and every way can be right. And for all that, we have this, we have this hunger within us 
for something that uh, transcends the, the power plays that go in on our world, the politics, the, the prejudices of the world in which we find ourselves. We hunger for a different kind of world in which love and peace and justice and prosperity and shalom, that beautiful Hebrew word, exists. The wholeness of our, not only our own lives but our relationships and of humanity. And the story here in the book of Philippians begins actually elsewhere. And we heard about that back at, in our, our last series when Graham was preaching. Paul had been attempting to go into another part of the world. It seems strange because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And here is Paul on mission and he's preaching Jesus and he wants to go into a particular part of the world and yet he is being prevented from doing so. And as he is prevented from doing so, Paul has always got an ear open to God. He is always listening to God. He's listening to him all the time. And during this, he gets what we call his Macedonian call. So direct result, he ends up going into Europe and planting a church in Philippi. Will I be better off? Thank you. Okay. Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) But problems are there to be solved, aren't they? Thank you, guys. (laughs) So, here we are. Paul goes as a result of his Macedonian call, as a result of God saying, don't go there, go here. And he goes to Macedonia, and he preaches the gospel, and he ends up planting a church. And you can read all about that in Acts uh, chapter 16, he, how he finds a particular lady and he ends up sharing the gospel with them. They get saved. He ends up in a, in a jail uh, because of what he's doing and then a whole family gets saved and a church is planted. And the letter that we are looking at was probably written about 10 years after the planting of that particular church. And so Paul is now in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for proclaiming the name of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord of all. And being in prison, he's, he's very much aware of the, the temptations, the pressures, the, the difficulties that they are facing as a church and that they will face. The church isn't very old. It's only about 10 years old. And when you write from a place like a prison, much like the end of life, you, your, your focus is sharpened. Your, your, your objectivity is clearer. And so here is Paul writing from prison, thinking of this particular church at Philippi. And so when he writes from prison, there's going to be some weight to what he has to say. There's going to be some, some, some great concern, some real purpose in his writing. And in spite of his hope of freedom, he writes as if death may not be far away. You look at chapter 1, verses 20 to 23 there. It says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better, but I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes it's better that I continue to live." 
And so Paul is, is not sure of the outcome. He is there in prison and he, he hopes that he may be freed one day. But he's writing with this in mind. He's writing as a man with those concerns before him to this church at Philippi, a church that is about 10 years old. As a church, I think we're around 14 years old. And, uh, you know, that, that's a critical phase. It's a critical time in the church's life because you can reach that point where you feel you've arrived. You can feel, well, actually, it's great, isn't it? The hall is full up. We've arrived. We've done what we can. We, we're enjoying one another's French fellowship. But the, there's something going on here. He's, he's laying out a challenge, which we'll see before the church at Philippi. No, there's something more that comes through in this letter. It's, it's not over until it's over. There's more to be done both personally and corporately. I love that song that we sang earlier. And it struck me uh, a month or so ago when we were playing it in the office. And, uh, and then we sang it the other Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago. You're the God of this city. You're the God of this city. Greater things have yet to come and greater things are still to be done. And we have to believe that as a church, that we've not arrived. Yes, God has brought us this far, and hallelujah, praise God for every part of the journey. But we've not arrived. There's still more to come. There's still greater things to be done in this city. And I look out across this town of Ashford, and I see houses upon houses being built. But more than houses upon houses, I see people. I see individuals, I see marriages, I I see homes, I see a multiplicity of people, people from all walks of life, from different countries of the world, coming to this town. At one time we had to leave to go on mission. Today we can stay here and go on mission. God does it both ways. God brings people in and he sends people out. And I look around and I think I see God increasing the mission field that we he has placed us in. Brothers and sisters, there's more to be done in this city. Amen. There's more to be done in this city. And that's some of the things that we're exploring. That's some of the journey that we are going on as we are linking in with Catalyst and we begin to sense God speaking in new ways. There is more to be done in this city. But you know, if God wants to do more in this city, he wants to do more in us. He wants to do more in you as a person. Because it can only come as we yield to him, as we listen to him, and as we respond to his voice in our own lives. Amen? And so there is, a, there is a tremendous call that is coming out of this particular book. There is more to be done. There's, there's a very real danger that we, we settle and, and adapt to the, the culture that we find ourselves in. And we, we gripe and we moan at it. You know, there are, there are people around, and I hope you're not one of them, who says, oh, I wish we had old Ashford. I've stood in the post office and I've heard people say that. I've heard people in conversation say, oh, what do you think about what's going on? I don't like it. I wish it was like it used to be. Brothers and sisters, it's not going to be like it used to be. That's right. God is doing a new thing and he does a new thing by expanding towns and cities and so on. That's all part of God's work. There are people being born. They have to live somewhere. And God is putting them in Ashford. He's reshaping Ashford. And he's providing us with an even bigger mission field. Wonderful, isn't it? 
So when you hear about those plans, think about the mission that God is bringing rather than thinking, oh no, not on my doorstep. Every sermon series has a title and you don't have to look uh, far to find that there are different titles on sermons for uh, the book of Philippians. But in many ways, a, a, a sermon title or a series title is a bit like a picture frame. It frames what you are looking at. And when you look at those particular series titles, it, it perhaps brings out a particular focus. So if you've got a picture at home and you change the frame, it changes the way you see the picture. You sometimes see things in the picture that you haven't seen before. They are there. Uh, they haven't suddenly appeared. They are there. But suddenly when you change the frame, you see something that you haven't seen before. And so the sermon title we've got for this series is... Building a Kingdom Culture. Now, there are various titles out there. You've got Building a Gospel Community, Surprised by Joy, Living in High Definition. That's obviously a very cool, with it, modern (laughs) one. Uh, Joy in Suffering, Living as Citizens of Heaven, No Matter What, To Live is Christ, United, One Grace, One Mission, More Than Happy, Image Bearers, The Rebel's Guide to Joy and a Life Worth Living. That's just some of the titles that you can find out there that frame sermon series on the book of Philippians. And we have felt the right title for this series is Building a Kingdom Culture. Building a Kingdom Culture. And that frames the way that we're looking at what's there. Maybe what you've seen before, but you're going to be looking at it in a new way and seeing, getting fresh light and fresh vision, fresh help fresh encouragement, etc. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to, to be doing, looking at building a kingdom culture. Let me say this, a kingdom culture is not a Christian culture. That might sound strange. Uh, we can identify a Christian culture very often as our particular nationalistic culture. And uh, that's a challenge when people do missions and uh, when I was doing a course a few years ago, part of it, one of the, the modules was on mission. And uh, a leader from one, one of the big missions groups was doing the, leading the course. And he said, when we get people coming on mission, doing this course, coming from different nationalities, we, we put them in a room and we like to have at least three different nationalities on a particular team. And we say, right, now that you're, you're together, he said, work out what a kingdom culture is because they know what a Christian culture is, they know what their Christianized culture is, which is very often a modification of their own particular nationalistic culture. And so, But we're not talking about building a Christian culture, but a kingdom culture. And there's a huge difference in that. And a kingdom culture, I hope as we go along, we'll expand on that and unfold some more about that. But Just to understand that, we are called to build a kingdom culture. You see, if we just build a Christian culture, we'll focus on the church as an entity in itself. Building a kingdom culture is about what God's doing here and out there and how we influence the world in which we find ourselves. So it's not about cultural relevance, but manifesting and releasing a new kind of culture, the culture of the kingdom of God. We work it out here that we might live it out there. Amen? Are you with me? So it's a kingdom culture. And what did Jesus do when he came? It says he came preaching the kingdom of God. And he said it was very near. And he told us to seek first the kingdom of God, to make it 
the overarching priority in each of our lives. Because when we live under his reign, that is the best place to be. Both individually, in our marriages, in our families, in the church. Are you seeking first the king and his kingdom? Or is he just some addition to your life at this moment in time? If that's the case, you'll, you, you, won't be, you won't be full of joy as a Christian. Because you're living with one foot in two camps. And he calls us to be sold out to him. To give ourselves wholly. It's about living for the king and his kingdom. And so God in, God's intent, as Paul says in the book of Philippians, sorry, Ephesians, God is intent, God's intent is that now, not eternity, now, through the church, his manifold wisdom might be made known. Who is the church? We are. Amen? All those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are his church, his body. And he says that through us, he wants to display his manifold wisdom to principalities and powers, to powers and authorities. That's not eternity, that's now. That's what we're meant to be doing now. And that means that we do need to be living as kingdom people. We need to be seeking that kingdom. We need to be listening to his voice and responding to it. And God releases to us a wisdom that is countercultural, but is truly the culture of the kingdom. And it's a wisdom that will speak into every area of life and uh, what are known as the seven spheres or the seven mountains of influence. And they are the family, religion, the economy, education, government, arts and media, and science and technology. The seven mountains or spheres of influence. Every one of us in some way or other is caught up in that. We are involved. And so here we are, we're talking about doing church and what church is meant to be. And there is a call here to, yes, not only come and worship and hear God, but to to go out from here as the people of God to be influencers in society. As Pam was sharing, to be able to take Jesus and his kingdom into the workplace and see God act and God move. And all of that, in many ways, is tied up in this particular book. We're called not only to to see people saved, and, and hallelujah for everyone who is saved, but we're called to see people changed. We're called to see people transformed, and we're called to see people equipped to influence and be society changes. Amen? I grew up in a day and age when a large part of the church's thinking was, Jesus is coming very soon. Let's get as many saved as we can, but forget the rest. In other words, influence and so on were not on the agenda. It was like, that's just going to pass away. Brothers and sisters, I have changed. My thinking has changed. And we are called to be influencers in society. Society changes. And so when you look at this letter, it's a, it's a warm and a personal letter. It's full of feeling, even passion, passion, something that was 
contrary to the, 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 the prevailing attitude of the day, which was very much Stoic philosophy, uh, that a kind of, of caution, don't get too excited, a kind of laid back, a cool, uh, that way you won't get hurt kind of thing. And Paul writes very passionately. I encourage you to, to read through the book of Philippians as one book. Don't just read it piecemeal. Read it as a book. Read it and get Paul's heart. He speaks with great feeling. He speaks with great passion. And God wants us to be people of passion. He gave us passions, didn't he? Yeah? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Perhaps. Oh, we're so English at times, aren't we? God gave us passions. And if there's somebody we should be passionate about, it's not who the best footballer is or what the best club is, whether it's Leicester or Man United. We should be passionate about Jesus Christ. Amen? And we should be passionate about this gospel. We we really need to get a glimpse again of what this gospel is all about and what it can do in the world in which we find ourselves. There are some doomsayers out there who say the church has had it. Brothers and sisters, it hasn't. If you put your ear to the ground, you can hear a sound. And I I love just going and meeting with other people as we did the other day, just going up up to London and meeting with some leaders and hearing what they're doing and then hearing about some of the work that's going on in Northern Ireland. And you think, wow, God is on the move. Amen? Yeah? And I want to be part of it. And you know, I feel personally challenged over the last few, few weeks, few months, that I have played it safe. I've played it safe because I've been hurt at times. I've been wounded at times. It's not been easy at times. And sometimes the way we cope is to put up areas of protection, develop ways of, of, of being that just calls us to play it safe. And I say, God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to play it safe. I can see the years disappearing behind me. And I begin to look to the future and I think, God, what is that future? And I want it to be you. And I want it to be everything you have for me. When I, I've been to Africa. I love Africa. And I've thought, I'd love to go back sometime. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely not taking this one. (laughs) And you know, and you go to a meeting like we did last week and you hear that. And I say, God, count me in. Count us in. And there was words about dreams. And I I have to be honest and say, I I have... restructured some of my dreams because of my disappointments. And I felt challenged. And there was a word given about dreams and how God wants to fulfill them. I don't want to be a Christian, stoic philosopher. I want everything that God has for me. I want to throw myself in to God's future for me. Paul has a very close and profound relationship with the church at Philippi. And his, his writing reveals him as a, as a person and as a friend 
rather than as a preacher and a missionary. It's filled with all kinds of information. And that, so it's not structured like his other letters, which tend to be theological and then practical. Very often with a, a bit of practical in the theological, and then when he deals with the practical, it's, 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 the theological is woven in there. In this letter, it just weaves in and out. It's full of very much that is so personal, filled with information, detail. It's gratitude and commendation. There's, there's unity, uh, challenge of false teaching, personal updates and, and recommendations. It's, it's concern over legalism and, uh, and anti-law, personal ambition and, and, and rivalries and so on. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful letter. There's just three or four things here I, I just want to drop in. It's a letter that is full of encouragement. How many of us need encouragement? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That was an easy one to get a hand raised, wasn't it? <laughs> we all need encouragement. And you know, the through, when you look at this book, Paul is writing from prison and his great heart is to encourage this church. It's a difficult time. It's a critical time. And he's writing to encourage them. And so you can read this book and you can lap it up. But you, I want you to notice that the encouragement are not empty words of, oh, you know, just, oh, it's okay, yeah. It's, you, you, you know, we can give empty encouragement at times. A kind of a there, there, and, and so on. But no, this, this, there's much more going on here. These are, the, these are words that have depth in God. These are words that speak into the heart of the lives that he is writing to and which will help them to face their, their present and their future. So encouragement. The enemy, let me say this, the enemy is into discouragement. If you are discouraged this morning, it's not because of God, it's because of Satan. Yeah? And, and you know, one thing that I have found is discouragement can be so discouraging. <laughs> you don't have to be a great philosopher for that one, do you? You know, I, I've been there a few times, as I'm sure that you have. And, and the devil loves it, and he's there to help you. Be more discouraged. I have never found that he comes along to me with an affirming, positive, helpful word. Yeah? God comes to lift the brokenhearted. He comes to heal the wounds in our soul. He comes to set at liberty those who are bound. He comes to break the chains, not make them stronger. You see, true words of encouragement are not just simply there, there. They, they're not empty words. They, they are person-shaping and hope-restoring. That's the beauty of it. And as you read this book, you'll find that. And he addresses them, you see in the first few verses there, he addresses them as holy citizens uh, of a heavenly colony. You look at that there. I'm writing to all of God's holy people. We are holy because God is holy. Because we are possessed by God. It's that that makes us holy. The devil would love to keep putting the, the unholy bit on us. Saying, look at you. I heard what you said. I saw what you did. Who do you think you are to be a Christian? God has saved you. And God has given you a new identity in Christ. And it is a holy identity in him. Hallelujah. Do you agree with me? Can I have a big amen? Yeah. 
We are holy citizens of a heavenly colony. You know, we used to sing songs about waiting for heaven when I die. I want some heaven on earth. Don't you? It's not all pie in the sky. It's pie on earth too, isn't it? Yeah? And this is what this is about. You see, we are a heavenly colony. Uh, We here, brothers and sisters this morning, are a heavenly colony. Turn round and say to the person next to you, we are a heavenly colony. Go on, declare it. As such, we are, as, as such, you see, Paul right at the beginning is just affirming the identity, not of who they were, but of who they are in Christ. You are God's holy people. And later on, he refers to them as citizens of heaven. Say, I am a citizen of heaven. Yeah, you may have been a citizen of Malawi or Dusseldorf or any other part of the world, but now that you're a kingdom person, your primary residence, your primary citizenship is where? It is in heaven. Amen. Oh. And then, so you can read more on that. Then it's based around their partnership. He values them. Verse 5 there. You see in that verse, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news. Elsewhere, this is sometimes translated as fellowship. But you know, fellowship can just end up as tea and cake. Yeah? Anybody can do tea and cake. The world can do tea and cake. It's nice to have tea and cake. I love tea and cake. But the kind of fellowship that this guy is speaking about is something far richer and far deeper and far more important than that. It is fellowship. It is partnership in the gospel. So it is fellowship with a purpose. Let me ask the question, how much of our fellowship is with purpose? We can spare, I, I love talking football. And there are others as well. And other people like talking about different things, but how much time do we spend talking those things as opposed to the good news, to what God's doing, etc.? Paul loves this church because they have partnered with him in the gospel. They have felt the call on his life. They have felt his passion. They have engaged with him. They've supported him. They've also been involved in preaching the gospel in their own town, in their own city. What about you? It's easy to become a bystander. Easy to observe from the sidelines. God wants nobody on the sidelines. He wants everybody on the team. Amen? Everyone. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 90, you're not off the team. You know, if you've just begun the Christian life, you're not off off the team. You're on it right now. You're part of that team. doesn't matter whether you, whether you have degrees in qualification or none. You're on the team. doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or not. You're on the team. So it's based around partnership. God calls us to be participators and not observers. Then it's about the good news. We've already referenced that. And my time has gone, so I'll whip quickly through these bits. But it's about the good news. As you read this book, the whole thing that keeps coming through is the good news. 
which is really the shortened version of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't got another message. The message is Jesus. Whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. That sounds simplistic, but actually it's true. Wherever you are at today as a Christian, whatever need you're facing, the answer is Jesus. And I'm becoming more and more aware of this, that there are situations in which I find myself in which the answer is more of Jesus in me. More of Jesus. More of you, Lord, in my life. It's easy to point the finger and say, oh God, what about them? If it wasn't for them, I could do the Jesus thing. I could be all holy and good. He's working something in here. And that's what he's doing you. His desire is to form Christ in you. Christ in you. Wow. Those things that you've railed at in life and people that you've had problems with. You've looked at, the out, looked at the outside, but actually it's what God wants to do on the inside. His passion is to form Christ in you. Wow. Two more things. There's more. Will you say that? There's more. That's one of the things that stand out as I read this book of Philippians. Wherever they are at, at this moment in time, there's more. Because Paul is saying there's more. Later on, in one of the other chapters, he says, I haven't arrived. I haven't attained everything yet for which Christ has laid hold of me. I haven't. Graham hasn't. Pam hasn't. Neither of you. There is more. There is more. And there's more for us as a church. Amen? Too silent. There is more. Come on. There's more. Yeah. There's more. We've got to let that sink in. The devil has tried to take some off track. Convince you that you've come to the end. Maybe even that God's finished with you. God's love and grace is bigger than our failures. There's always more in God if we're willing to listen to him and respond to him. So there's more. There's a sense that Paul hasn't arrived and therefore they haven't arrived and therefore the need to press on, to press in. Brothers and sisters, we've done a series on the gifts of the Spirit. Let's not move on. Let's move in. Do you hear me? Because there's a very real danger that we've, oh, we've done that. I, I got that intellectually. God's got gifts and he'll give them to some people, but not me. Brothers, sisters, count yourself in. Count yourself in. There's more. And then lastly, the Christian life transcends all circumstances. That's another theme that comes out in this book. Whatever your situation, the Christian life transcends all, under, all circumstances. To be a kingdom person is to have a life that transcends whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. Whether it's sickness, the loss of a job. Whether it's severe trial. Think of some of the testimonies that are coming out of the persecuted world of Christians. But time has gone. I don't know where the journey takes us, but I want to go there. Amen? I want to go there. And he gives his Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. Let's stand, shall we?